Hello, and welcome to the Aggressively Mediocre Podcast, where we watch aggressively mediocre movies, so you don't have to. Uh, I'm Chris. And I'm MJ. And uh, the purpose of this podcast is to take movies that, for whatever reason, were forgotten. Uh, you know, just kind of okay movies, just kind of meh, you know, or movies that just kind of hit miss the mark on their timing, all that stuff. We take them and we give them a second chance in the spotlight, uh, whether they deserve it or not. Yeah, so what we're doing today is um, we have watched a movie. Um, and now we are coming together to discuss it. So just to be clear, uh, it's not going to work like uh, Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. It's more like today. It's more like Third Stage by Boston and The Hangover. Um, So today we will be watching the 2002 classic Big Trouble. Big, big trouble for everyone involved. They got in big trouble. Hey, MJ. Yeah, what's up, Chris? How can we never get Gators fans calling in? When you know when when everybody's happy, every, you know Gator. When when the Gators win, then we got Gator fan coming in. But how come no Gators fan is brave enough to call in when the Gators lose? Well, that's what I'm saying is that I'm a Gator fan and I'm calling. Yeah, but but I don't no, I don't think you understand me. But how come they don't call in when when they lose? How come only Gator fan call in when they win? No, I'm saying we the Gators lost and I'm a Gator fan and I'm calling, so I don't understand. I don't see what the problem is. Uh, we've just reenacted about five minutes of this movie. You're welcome for free. You don't yeah. even have to spend the money on it. Yeah, we, we spent like $3 a piece on this for a- on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I actually spent, well, technically I'll spend no money because I'm doing the whole thing where you start a free trial of Cinef- Cinemax and then you cancel the free trial. Oops, I should do that. Uh, uh, we'll be right back. We're canceling our Cinemax subscriptions. Yep. See you in a bit. Uh, and we're back. Um, Sorry that took longer than I expected. I accidentally downloaded Skinemax first ah. and I had to undo it. My bad. So today, like I said, we're watching the 2002 classic Big Trouble, featuring, among others, Tim Allen, Rene Russo, and Stanley Tucci. Those are really just the top three on IMDb. This has one of the best casts I've it's ever seen in a movie. Yeah, it's, it's like, now, best cast of, like, really enjoyable actors who are never quite starring role, besides maybe Tim Allen, Rene Russo, and Stanley Tucci. Yeah, I'd say, you, I'd say that's yeah. fair. Um, like it's uh, just it's a bunch of B-list actors that none of them well maybe not B-list that seems rude uh, but none of the lower actors a, high B. none of the actors are, are particular draws to people mm-hmm. but none of them really detract from this movie and it all comes together in this really weird manic storm that yes. uh, depending on who you ask could be very enjoyable yes uh, yeah it, it's definitely storm is a good word for it <laughs> it's, it's a lot of events going on it's a whole lot of sound and fury and not much uh, going for it. Yeah, uh, personally, uh, I believe. <laughs> no, I understand. I um, on on rewatching this, I realized that it is uh, it's not the charming, you know, uh, ensemble cast, very well written, very well crafted <laughs> film that I used to believe it is. It's more of a comedy of errors that is, if nothing else, charming. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun farce. You know, there there are worse crimes against film than this one for sure uh i wasn't particularly impressed although it definitely actually for me it was better the second time around that's good not 100 percent sure why i think part of it was i i found a thread that i wanted to follow and it mostly played out and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit so this movie was directed by barry sonnenfeld best known for his wonderful wonderful movie starring will smith that everybody loves you know it i love it it's wild wild west the best best barry sonnenfeld movie that you will ever come across. 
also like I guess uh, you know Men in Black and yeah, Men in the Black. Lady Killers. Uh, Adam's Family, the first and second. I guess maybe not first and second, but Adam's Family and then Adam's Family Values. Most recently, actually, though, he um, he was the executive producer and I think somewhat director for the series Unfortunate Events uh, TV show on Netflix, which I have to say, it really tells me a lot about his style of directing. Uh, and you can actually see some some of the some of the some of the performances are kind of similar in that very Barry Sonnenfeld likes to have kind of dry jokes like he like he when somebody tells it tells a joke they will still say it in a very dry way like they're not making a joke and I actually I really like that tone uh, because yeah. it gets a really really consistent um, you know interactions across the board from his actors and mm-hmm. it makes for this really like dry net like deadpan never really like nyuck nyuck kind of uh mm-hmm. comedy that, that some people can do but it ultimately because of that i feel like comes off as kind of tone deaf in at times yeah it's tone deaf for a few reasons but we'll get to that you bring up a really good point because he does have and I, I realized this as you're saying it one of the big things that you see in a lot of movies and i was trying to figure out like what i was meaning actually by dry versus not dry delivery um you don't the, the jokes in this don't come from over the top reactions and and you, you'll find that a lot in, in especially in like bars and stuff like where it's like oh no he slipped and fell and and busted his his nose and 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 everyone's like whoa and this movie doesn't do that yeah uh the biggest thing i would say about this movie is it kind of reads like an arrested development episode mm-hmm. but if you Written like arrested development yeah. you should probably just watch arrested development yeah arrested development does everything better than, than this movie does but uh it's not that this movie is is not is entirely it's without not, merit yeah exactly so and then part of part of why it is like it is and we'll definitely get into this uh it was written originally as a novel by uh humorist dave barry uh and that comes in pretty quick because it's very obvious that tim allen's character is pretty heavily based on dave barry and i think that pretty much just brings us to the summary so if you could go into that and then i'll bring it back to why the the movie is like it is based on the writer sure thing um so tim allen's character elliot arnold is a uh, was a journalist columnist beat writer for uh, the miami herald before his divorce drove him to basically throw a fit and get fired from that job he now runs an ad agency that's a terrible place to put it because he really doesn't come into the main part of the story for a little while, but he is our main character for some reason. Yeah, also the ad agency has zero effect on the story. Yeah, um, but Tim Tim Allen's character is there. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's the hero, but not necessarily the focus. Essentially, the movie he's... circles around two or three main intersecting plot points, one of which being... Um, Two hitmen, uh, being Dennis Farina and uh, Jack Keller, attempting to kill Stanley Tucci uh, because Stanley Tucci embezzled money from a his business. his business, which is on the front a construction business in Miami, uh, but also is are, are gun smugglers, yeah, uh, run, gun runners. Yeah, because what else would you do in Miami? In Miami, yeah. There's also a Jesus-like figure that gets drawn into the gun running subplot as well as two bumbling fools who attempt to rob Stanley Tucci's character, Arthur Herc, at the same time as the hit, and themselves get drawn into it. There is also a subplot of Ben Foster, who plays uh, Tim Allen's son, 
is trying to assassinate Zoe Deschanel, which is Stanley Tucci's uh, daughter. Daughter. Stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. Not biological uh, daughter. With Rene Russo. So Ben Foster and uh, DJ Qualls' character attempts to uh, assassinate her with a squirt gun at multiple times, as we all did in high school. Mm-hmm. See. Oh, there's also cops. There's there's just there's also two cops. One uh, is Jean Garofalo. I can almost never say her name correctly. Yeah. Uh, and the other is uh, the the man who is in literally every in every single Barry Sonnenfeld movie, uh, Patrick Warburton. Yep. Uh, Jeanine Garofalo is a hyper competent, um, if not a chip on her shouldered female cop, and Patrick Warburton is the bumbling Patrick Warburton character that we all know and love. He plays very Patrick Warburton. That's basically it. Later, some FBI agents come in, played by Omar Epps and Heavy D, who are very charming, if not they're delightful, uh, draconian with their methods. Yeah, they're they're a little bit uh, um, less funny in retrospect because of kind of the context. Yeah, the context, which we'll get into that. As the two hitmen are trying to assassinate Stanley Tucci, let's see, Matt Arnold, Matt Arnold, who is Elliot Arnold, who is. Ben Foster, who plays Tim Allen's son, four names, really unnecessary, um, uh, gets involved by attempting to assassinate Zoe Deschanel. Ends up screwing up the hit. Ends up screwing up the hit. Sophia Vargara, who is Stanley Tucci's live-in help, runs off into the forest and runs into Jason Lee, uh, best known for My Name is Earl. Alvin uh, and the Chipmunks, too. And Alvin and the Chipmunks, who is a Jesus-like, homeless character who is also in the story. And if we've confused you at this point, that's normal, and it's just because this is... That's how the movie is. It's, it, you know how a lot of people will describe movies as having star-studded casts? Well, I can very, very definitively say that I was very dazzled by the star power in this movie. <laughs> so much mm-hmm. so that there is entirely too much of it for an hour and 25-minute movie. Yep. All of the plots uh, converge. Uh, the two bumbling idiots, played by Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville, as they're trying to rob Stanley Tucci, accidentally steal an atomic bomb that was Nuclear uh, warhead brought in that, by that some Russians had. Yeah, for the for the purpose of the gun runners, uh, but intercepted by Stanley Tucci and then stolen by the bumbling idiots. They hijack a plane to try to get to uh, the Bahamas, which is a haven for kingpin types, which is said many many times. Yeah, as, as you know, Tom Sizemore has an obsession with kingpins in this movie, and believes Stanley Tucci is one of them. And uh, our hero, or uh, more likely our protagonist, Tim Allen, must stop them. I would actually say the opposite, but we can we can. Those are semantics. He's a hero, but not a protagonist. Correct. Okay. He saves the day, but he is not the focal driving force of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I would I, argue that there is no protagonist, but that's besides the point. And I'm really sorry for this bumbling. Um, summary but that's really all we can do in this situation it's actually it's a very accurate representation of the movie it's it's listening to that that uh just like drag on and on and on that's it not that the movie necessarily drags but like the sheer amount of detail that is forced in your face uh in the first act of the movie really can get just confusing yeah, it's, um, it's the weirdest thing. So uh, when we did 88 Minutes, one of the things we kept saying about it is how dense the movie was really because dense. of how, how many details it was. This one is is lighter. This uh, Whereas um, 88 Minutes was having somebody force you to eat a cheesecake with a gun to your head. Mm-hmm. This movie is more like having to eat one small piece of cheesecake at the beginning, and it's the richest thing you ever had, but you can wash it down with as much uh, skim milk as you'd like. 
very uh it's it's yeah, that's, that's pretty fair it's very front heavy it's um and then once you get into it it is really fun it, it flies yeah, it's by a, it's a ride it's a ride at the the second the second act of the, the film is a ride yeah for sure and and i can appreciate that they had to set up like they had to set up although there were probably they could they could trim the fat in a few places see it's interesting you say that because when i watch it now it is very obvious to me how heavily edited this movie is and i wonder i wonder if the thickness at the front end is because of that yeah like they got like halfway through and they're like god there's no way that we can match this up if we don't we we need to start cutting things yeah it, it seems to me like it's it's a very entertaining movie uh it's a very it's a ride of a movie, and it mm-hmm. works, um, but it doesn't particularly. It's not. It's definitely didn't win any awards. It's no one. No one knows these characters for this movie, and no one ever will. But it's still a really fun, enjoyable time. It's fun. It, there, there are worse ways to spend eighty-five minutes. Which, yeah, for example, uh, watching the second half of eighty-eight minutes. Yeah, we've been doing uh, what I'm going to call pleasantly short movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was definitely one of them. I would definitely watch if you have an hour and a half. Uh, this this could be a way to do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that somewhat satisfactory summary, uh, sufficiently satiated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that works. Uh, what do you have any fun facts about this movie? I got I got a few fun facts. So, uh, like I said, Tim Allen is Dave Barry, uh, and because of that, uh, Dave Barry is or was, pardon me a columnist for the Miami Herald, uh, a humorist, and so they, they were actually able to film in the actual offices of the Miami Herald for the scenes that that tex- takes place in, which I guess is really just the one scene. Wow, talk about uh, uh, Cinema Veritas, yeah. whatever. And then uh, Barry Sonnenfeld delivered the movie under budget. So apparently he spent less money than, than they aimed to set out, which is interesting because you don't feel that in the movie necessarily. I don't, I don't feel anywhere that like the quality feels dipped, you know what I mean? No, but it might also just be because all of the um, all of the money went to the people. Yeah, that's fair. That and filming actually in Florida, yeah. um, which is cool because I, I I mean you could film anywhere that looks vaguely Florida like and it would be the same thing. I wouldn't be able to yeah, tell. Yeah, pick a pick a swamp, any swamp, and you got it. And so so here's the interesting thing too: so many of the people in this movie have acted with other people in this movie. Firstly, Patrick Warburton, he was in uh, Dave Barry's. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say failed. He was. He was in Dave Barry's sitcom that he had a while back, 1993, and then also. Wait, what's the sitcom uh, named? Uh, I think it's just called. It's called Dave's World. Oh, okay. Dave's World. Gotcha. Um, I know absolutely nothing about it, which is not a great sign. Right. But there was also a lot of failed. Well, sorry, I keep saying failed. Uh, there, there was a lot of sitcoms in the 90s that I don't know because they weren't necessarily very popular. That makes sense. Uh, Dennis Farina and Rene Russo were are, like had previously acted together in Barry Sonnenfeld movie Get Shorty. Yeah. yeah. Uh and then uh, uh sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I've got one to add at least. Okay. Uh Tom Sizemore and Jason Lee uh were in Enemy of the State but they weren't actually acting together. DJ Qualls and Zoe Deschanel were in The New Guy. Fantastic movie. Say? No, that I actually have another one, but uh New Guy is one of my favorites. It is one of my favorite 2002 movies. I hear it's good. I Did I Did you hear I that from me? Like, yes. <laughs> I genuinely like DJ Qualls, uh, which it really makes him sound like he's a DJ. His, he's like his initial name is DJ. Uh, he, he plays a very specific character, but he plays it really, really well. It's like a more pathetic um, uh, rest development. Michael Cena. Michael Sarah. There we <laughs> Michael go. Michael Cena's silly ass. That's a different Michael person. Michael Sarah. Yeah. 
So uh, Johnny Knoxville was in Men in Black 2, along with Patrick Warburton. Jason Lee and Dennis Farina were in a movie. It's called Stealing Harvard. And that's that's pretty much it. Oh, oh, uh, and in, in the bit that we did at the beginning, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld played MJ. Yeah. Fun fact. He played me. He played you. The one I would add is that uh, Zoe Deschanel and Dennis Farina acted together in uh, one or two episodes of New Girl, which is ah. a show that I really enjoy. So I really, it really makes me all, all those facts and like how everybody's kind of act together, acted together, really leads me to believe that like it was kind of fun to do this. This seems like it was a movie that was fun to do. Yeah, I mean, it it really had to be. It it looks like all of these characters were just kind of bouncing off of each other, and I I wonder what we missed. Yeah, I'm sure that there were probably inside jokes between the cast that uh, we just missed out on because we weren't able to, you know. Inside jokes. Personally, I was not in movies um, in 2000, 2001 era, you know, time. Mostly because I was in kindergarten, and I was not a very handsome five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there were no children in this movie. No, uh, it was cool because uh, Ben Foster, Zoe Deschanel, and DJ Qualls all look very young. They look super young. Um, they look like babies. And it's uh, and Sofia Vergara too. And it's it's very. Oh, yeah. um, I guess it's charming when you see that because, you know, so often you hear people complain about, oh, there's 30-year-olds in my high school movie, you know, mm-hmm. and Zac Efron's looked like he's been 25 for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, this was really – it was really neat because you saw, you know, some – what I'm assuming at the time were fairly fresh faces. And mm-hmm. the – kind of the the gravitas or the lack thereof in this, uh, in this uh, cast really let everybody shine, which was really yeah. cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, so can, can I confess uh, about something? Yes, you can. So uh, this movie I have seen a number of times. Um, wow. Yes. Hold up. Wait a minute. You tricked me. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. First of all. Second of all, a second thing, because that's how this movie is. Go on. Uh, so this movie, uh, usually on this podcast, we've been watching movies that neither of us have seen. And the most familiarity we had was if, you know, one of us had read a book that it was based off of or something. But Skinner Doctor. Um, not, I'm, I'm not going to mince around it. It's Skinner Doctor. It's, Isaac Skinner Doctor. Yeah. Uh, are you proud of yourself? I am uh, proud of myself. It was a good book. So this this movie was one of probably a dozen DVDs that was in my house just about the entire time we had a DVD player. Um, Everybody has some of those. Yeah, it was this, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, and mm. Ghostbusters 2. Like that. That's what I remember. Um, all of them, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, very special movies to me. But so I, I've seen this movie a number of times. This is, uh, you know, some people close to me. This is one of their favorite movies. Um, and as a result, I had a generally positive c- idea of this movie before going into it this time. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that is intact. But I wanted to give you the heads up, uh, listening audience, all nine of you. Um, that this is not normally the w- the case, and nope. I'm interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, because because we we had a, a taste of this with the scanner darkly. I know I was a little bit maybe not defensive, but like more inclined to enjoy it because I you know almost sunk cost fallacy of like you know oh I I put it on all the time to to read the book and now I'm re- watching this and especially it was it was a really good adaptation so that was a positive there. Um, so it made me kind of want to also defend it as the book as opposed to just as the movie um but this is a little bit different if it's a if it's a childhood movie that you enjoyed then there's a it it can come off as anything that i didn't like about the movie can come off as an attack on your childhood 
Uh, and I don't want you to feel that. My childhood died with uh, the new Star Wars, so let's go. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding, by the way. If anyone was was not uh, was not clear on that, I'm kidding. My childhood d- died in the divorce. So let's uh, let's get into this. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just gonna uh, I was gonna tell you about Dave Barry. Excellent. So let me tell you about Dave Barry. Dave Barry is a columnist of the Miami Herald, as I have previously mentioned. He has actually won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for one of his articles. Here's the thing. Humorists, columnists, they don't make the best movies. Or really, they don't make the best novels, in, in my opinion. I've read, well, I haven't read this one yet, but um, I've, I've experienced two, two columnist humorist novels. And there's an element of high on your own supply, you know what I mean? Or, or just a little bit too full of yourself. And, and because you have, say, a Pulitzer Prize... People don't necessarily give you as harsh of a criticism for your novels. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I don't believe that I agree. Um, as a rule, I can I can pull out a, a handful of, of uh, freelance journalists and novelists that might might not fall into the exact same uh, column. Well, yeah, here, but here's the thing: are they are they uh, what's it called? Um, Humorists. Yeah, I would argue, and obviously this is just the first one that came to my head. Um, Chuck Palahniuk. That's a pretty good one. That's a good one. That is a, that is a very good one. That's uh, Fight Club, right? Yep. Here's the thing. Fight Club was not necessarily a humorous book. Not the way I read it. <laughs> so yeah, wh- what I mean is, oftentimes with, with humorists, what's funny in a column, uh, like a weekly column in a, in a newspaper, won't necessarily tra- travel to a novel. That's fair. To, to what's funny in a novel. That's fair. And, and you can also see... Sonnenfeld really likes to add, uh, like, adapt things. Like, Men in Black was a comic book first. Uh, Wild Wild West was a old TV show. Um, series of Unfortunate Events was a book series. Uh, this was a book. He's he's very that that's kind of his bread and butter. Uh, and and usually it works out pretty well. He's he's pretty darn good. I feel at at, at adapting. But you run into some things that, like, in in a novel you have a narrator. In a movie you shouldn't have a narrator. Yeah, and it can get overplayed really quick and this movie somehow had two narrators yeah it had jason lee kind of jason and lee then it had introduced the story and handed it off to our real narrator who is tim allen yes so and that works in a that works more in a novel than it does in a movie but it also gets a little cliche in novels but specifically in this it, it, it was a little obvious that it was a book when literally when it when i was watching the credits and it said based on the novel by and i was like oh okay yeah no that tracks there, there's a lot of elements that are just very work in a book, but don't necessarily work in a movie. Right. I am less susceptible to such failures. That's fair. Yeah, I um, obviously I knew this as a movie first, and it's not like I was ever really unaware of the book, but when you're watching this movie you know, a couple times a year because – you know, you have strep float mm-hmm. throat, and you only have a dozen DVDs, and you don't really want to watch Streets of Fire. Um, you know what? Again, again. You know, you get familiar with something, and you can tend to overlook uh, certain flaws. Yeah, flaws. Uh, certain. And and we we run into another thing that I would like to discuss later on, where because this movie is not the first movie I've seen that has had an ensemble cast with a whole bunch of intermingling plot points that then come together to kind of resolve. Uh, and it's not the first movie that I've seen ha- to have a you know narrator kind of describe some of the events and add little humorous asides 
uh, and it's not the first news I've seen that's done the whole thing where it like describes like, and here's what happened after, you know, the fact of the movie. Uh, it doesn't necessarily come off as fresh to me as it might have done to you. No, I don't think that fresh is a is a word that you can use to describe this movie. No, it's very it's very dated. It's very yeah. I think I it's very two thousand one, which is ironic considering it's a two thousand two movie. Yeah, I guess yeah. In rewatching it, obviously, there's a lot that goes into this movie that you know still I think of uh, sometimes from from time to time for cleverness and uh, and entertainment. But is it is it Martha Stewart as a dog saying arugula? Uh, I I would be lying if I said no, um, because that's sticking with me for forever because I love it. But uh, the best way that I can describe I'm and you know I will def- I will defend this movie in a lot of cases, but the best thing I can use to describe this movie is it's a uh, it's a string of cliches, tropes, and stereotypes strung together with a paper thin plot and entirely carried by a star-studded cast that really distracts you from how overplayed just about everything is. Yep. And see, that's where, that's why I also think that it's it's obvious that he's a, where, where there's the flaw of being a humorist, or, or like a, you know, it's, that's not the right, there's, there's a specific word for the kind of, uh, like, columnist he is. I can't think of what it is. It's very upsetting. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he, he relies very heavily on tropes and, and cliches uh and, th- and that's like because when you're writing a, a humor column like that you're a lot of times pulling from your own experience in your life and stuff like that which also because the main character was a columnist who <laughs> like a failed columnist for the miami herald like holy shit dude like i get right what you know but holy just seriously anyway yeah i don't know what you, you tend to you tend to to stitch in the places where your experience don't necessarily match up with with kind of like oh you know I've heard this a lot. Let's let's bring in this, you know, element. Yeah, uh, it's the the great thing about having, uh, you know, a a huge cast of characters is if you don't resonate with the failed, uh, disgraced Miami Heraldist, you might uh, identify with one of the um, New Jersey hitmen, or you might, you know, uh, identify with the, you know, kid who doesn't respect his father, or or you know, so many of these things. Because he bought a Geo, which fair. I wouldn't respect my father if he bought a Geo. Yeah, that's it, Geo. We're coming for you. We're a Subaru podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I mean, it just ends up being a bunch of characters that none of them really feel that realistic just because with the screen time they have, they sort of have to resort to caricatures of a teenager, of a disrespected (laughs) dad, of an unhappy housewife, of Stanley Tucci. Um so I, I don't know. It's like I said, it's not a bad movie by any stretch. It's very entertaining, but overall, it's uh, it's largely forgettable. And um, we'd understand if you didn't see it, especially with uh, with what happened. Yeah, we've been uh, dancing around this a little bit. So this is movie came out in two thousand two. It ostensibly is a plot about two goons getting a nuclear warhead through airport security and onto a plane. That's kind of the climax of the uh, film. And 2002, what? MJ, can you remind me what happens in 2001? I feel like there was something in 2001 that feels related to this. 9-11. 9-11 happened. Yeah, 9-11 happened. Yeah, this movie was set for release, I believe, in late September 2001. And as you said, ostensibly, the climax of this movie features a hijacked plane with civilians on it 
mm-hmm. and that's a main part of it. I, I like I don't. It's it's obviously it's not a one to one you know comparison, and and obviously with the with the gift of hindsight and and distance and basically never living, never consciously living in a pre two thousand one society because hey we're millennials, um, we're babies. You know we we have the benefit of, of of some level of separation. But right. this movie was set to come out in September of 2001. It ended up coming out early 2002 with April, I believe. virtually no press yeah, um, <laughs> because of the movie that this was. And believe it or not, it didn't do well yeah, in theaters. I never would have guessed. So I think even with – I'm curious. Do you have those numbers? Uh, even with um, – oof, nope. Yeah, even, even with uh, Barry Sonnenfeld coming in under budget. The movie really only made seven million dollars. Yeah, uh, U.S. internationally, US. it may have made more, but really, I mean, oof. What can you say about the, a movie like that? Uh, no, it's so it's it's awkward, and and it, it's less. It, it would be less awkward if there wasn't like a fair like there wasn't a fairly large joke that was basically TSA sucks. Yeah, or I guess it's not it's not TSA at this point. It's just airport security. After. Yeah, so airport security sucks, which is is really not great. It's not it's not a good image to to put out there. It's not a good joke to make. It's too soon when it was actually technically created before it was too soon. So like really too soon. Yeah, so this this movie did a um it was oddly prescient in a lot of things related to 9/11, but at the same mm-hmm. time it was so this movie was so narrow-minded that it, you, it cannot be called microcosmic by any stretch of the imagination, but it is so narrow in the view of this movie that when something yep. happens like that, you kind of have to take it seriously. And this movie is, is I mean, it's a, it's a failure of, of its time Yeah, because of that. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because, again, like, like you said, it's a very late 90s, early 2000s, like a really early 2000s movie, but it released in a world that was so not set up for it like like and and i say world that's maybe just a little dramatic but like it definitely could not have missed its mark harder (laughs) in in its release time yeah um there's a joke on bojack horseman where there are these people that are making a movie an action movie that features in its climax a shootout and every time they they write it Shortly afterwards, there's a mass shooting in that place, in a so shopping mall, a mall, in a grocery yeah. store, uh, in like a, you know, in maybe a school, but I think that might a even be pushed too far for them. Probably not a school. I think they didn't necessarily do school. And they keep having to change it, and they say, oh, son of a, you know, uh, you know, fish. It's, uh, it's, they just had a, a shooting there. And that's this movie. That is what happens in this it movie. Is. It's like I, I'm sure that that almost that exact conversation happened with Sonnenfeld in the in the studio. You know, okay, we're all set. We're gonna release this. We got some. We got some pretty good folks. We got some. You know, everybody loves Tim Allen. Uh, you know, everybody's. You know, we got we got a few up and comers. I hear some good things about that De Chanel girl, the the youngest De Chanel girl. Is that your youngest? I'm not, I'm not sure uh, in relation to Emily. Uh, she's definitely younger than Emily, but I don't know if there's another. There's another one. I gotcha. Okay. There might be another. There is another <laughs> De Chanel. But and then yeah. this happens. Yeah, it's and so they're like, "Well, shit. Well, this movie's good thing we only spent forty million on it." And the thing about this movie is, like, even without that, not not entirely sure that it would be uh, that would be entirely successful. But it would probably have made its money back. It would have been better 
had it released honestly probably even just a year earlier yeah like and and by that i mean like actually yeah even even like if it had released in april 2001 as opposed to uh april 2002 it probably would have done better yeah not probably substantially because it is still a little bit of a mess uh narrative wise yeah right. but like it definitely missed it missed stuff really hard mm-hmm. with that kind of out of the way chris what was your favorite part of the movie favorite part of the movie hmm. i really enjoyed the fbi agents a lot there was pretty much only one like i i really enjoyed the gators joke um the gator fan joke that that shows up a few times um and every single time it had me giggle because it's just hilarious that it's just that back and forth of neither person quite understand like quite listening to the other and just saying this you know thing and it, like it's always then on the radio whenever they turn on the radio it's these two still arguing about this gator thing and i loved that loved that joke favorite joke in the movie um but like as a like the the scenes with the fbi agents well again a little bit prescient with their kind of reach and what they could do uh, i really just love the performance of uh, uh rapper heavy d and omar epps i think they, they were really delightful yeah prescient comes up in this situation because in the uh, in in that part, I'm not entirely sure what the executive order is um, that it's they claim. Seven six eight dash oh four. They basically go around patriot acting people. Yeah, yeah, just like hey, let me t- take your car. It's okay, I've got this. Oh, we don't need a warrant. We it, this is national security. Which is interesting because I mean, like, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that terrorism was not a thing before 9/11. No, that is not what I'm saying at all. But the fact that they were doing all these things in the name of counter, not even counterterrorism, but of, you know, national security, national security. And they actually do say to fight terrorism at times. Yep. Um, yes, they're doing this the like before it was, you know, the Patriot Act was a thing is just really cool. And it almost makes me wonder if it was added in post. Yeah. You think you think that whole kind of thing was, was sort of secondhand? No, I guess not, because there's the, the part at the end, but like for the most part, Heavy D and Omar Epps' FBI agent characters don't really play with others. They just kind of yeah, they, follow they the a, scene. A lot smaller. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like, uh, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. I, I do love them. I do love them. Yeah, um, I enjoyed them. My favorite, my favorite subplot is, uh, is the Dennis Farina, Jack Keller, New Jersey hitmen, <laughs> kind of following the story, too, trying to kill Stanley too. Tucci and uh, never actually succeed no but that like they just are like wow my uh florida sucks miami sucks let's kill this guy and get out of here and then they like they just keep running into this big obnoxious guy they keep like you know tripping and like their gun going off and stuff it's it's just dumb and they're not the bumbling people too they're not the bumbling people here's a question so everybody reconvenes at stanley tucci's house and that's like where like okay pure 14 karat gold yep and they that's where okay they get the bomb they, they, or they everybody's hostage and then everybody has to go save everybody else and yada yada dennis farina and his partner follow them no uh so dennis farina assumes that he has killed the uh has killed his mark stanley tucci oh, because okay, okay. he goes through the window with the cop correct yes okay so he assumes that okay he assumes that they succeeded and from there they then are just going to the airport they're going to the airport to get on the to, flight to leave, to leave back okay. to newark that was okay that was that makes a lot of sense and then at the at the very end they end up on a flight full of rowdy gator fans which is the payoff to the bring it home to the to the whole uh gator joke loved it yep. great 
there's there's also this movie is so full of minor like just small moments um and i think that's a part of the the deadpan delivery of just about the entire movie and just how how subtle just about everything tries to be yeah they they definitely don't go for an over the top punchline yeah earlier i said and that i like that this movie that. is like arrested development and i stand by that this movie is arrested development um you know two two years before arrest development and but it's just it's just not as good arrest development yeah, it's does subtle it's like payoffs the most recent season <laughs> yeah yeah Oof. it's definitely it's not prime arrest development it's i would actually honestly go so far as it's not quite as good as even most recent arrest development but yeah i also have a soft spot for the most recent arrest development so so yeah i mean that's that's kind of what this movie feels like it's just kind of a storm with all this thing these things happening and if you can make it to the end it's a very entertaining movie and you won't have a problem making it to the end because this movie is about as thick as cotton candy like most blow right through it yeah like most tim allen movies it's about as meaningful too um Mm -hmm. and yeah i don't know um was there anything else you you really noticed or, or picked out of this movie that that you think is is noteworthy there's a few things, but I think that they rely a little bit more on analysis if we want to move on to analysis. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get uh, heavy with this. Like, let's heavy D. Heavy D. Yeah. He actually he even had a song in the movie for like 10 seconds. You blink and you miss it. Uh, beside the point. Um, um, my biggest thing about this movie is that the comedy is the opposite of Timeless. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's not like they're talking about. Well, actually, in one case, it was like they were talking about the politics of the times. It's not like they're saying, "Hey, yeah, who here voted for Nader?" But actually, one of the people said, "Yeah, he's one of the only people who, you know, was not confused when he voted for Pat Buchanan." And yeah. I wish that I knew more that that joke was funny. I know, right? That's just a little bit before our time. They also referenced Martha Stewart pretty often, which I loved I that. No, that was really enjoyable. Um, I guess it's. Uh, this was pre Martha Stewart being arrested, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and and so, so Stanley Tucci gets attacked with hallucinogenics from a toad, and uh, hallucinates that Martha Stewart is coming to steal his soul, uh, in the form of his dog, um, which, to be honest, the the steal my soul part of that didn't stick for me. I it was really enjoyed Martha Stewart as a dog. Yeah, the the steal your soul bit was incredibly overdone. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like Stanley Tucci was the only person in this movie who was allowed to act because mm-hmm. everyone else really seems normal. Like like, and I guess that yeah. tells you how just how you know good they are at acting these characters that were written for them. But Stanley mm-hmm. Tucci just seems he seems scuzzy he's and he seems place. yeah. He's actually the only one without a pair. Fun fact. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw him as a natural pair for DJ Qualls. <laughs> who's also uh who's also without a pair uh like he's he's part of like a, a threesome that doesn't really resolve right um they actually um something interesting too uh renee russo and tim allen are making out and the big big oaf of a guy who's hiring tim allen that's literally has absolutely no bearings on the plot except anyway, he, that he interacts with three of the pairs yeah, like at does, different times independently but he's just an, right. uh, an unrelenting asshole the entire time which yeah, exactly. gets him punished with everybody except for Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he pretty much could only do that to Tim Allen. But anyway, so they're making out, and uh, this, this guy says, uh, hey, got, got room for a third? Uh, and the answer was obviously no, because this movie is about pairs. Yeah, no, that's, that's what that scene was about. That was what it was about, yeah. Um, it was them slyly hinting to the audience that this movie is about pairs, and that thirds 
are not welcome here. Yeah, I, I guess for the most part, it's just like, I don't know if there's anything, if there's any enormous failure of this movie, mostly because I don't think that it presents anything that's particularly challenging or... Right, right. In, in order to have a big failure, you tend to have to have high aspirations uh, or, or you have to be like trying for something and then not necessarily do so great. Uh, this movie, it, it does things, it just doesn't try it it doesn't go for anything new and exciting i feel yeah and i guess like the biggest failure of this movie not really not trying anything new or exciting because honestly i think that in two if we saw this movie in 2002 minus the 9-11 stuff it would actually be fairly enjoyable because it it brings Mm -hmm. together this large ensemble cast and it's by no means the first ensemble cast and it's by no means the first uh humorous adaptation and it's by no means even like barry sonnenfeld's uh first foray into the world of patrick warburton but mm-hmm. um but it's just like it's it doesn't present anything new and it put itself in a, in a position to be forgotten as a piece of the past and i guess that's kind of where i want to take our analysis today if you're if you're willing to go there with me yeah i'll try so uh, a couple weeks ago we discussed uh death of the author and Mm -hmm. something that i've kind of since taken away from that and with me into each movie is i now am ultra wary of paratext yeah and okay i get that it's not for everybody it's not for everybody obviously in this movie i think a big reason i liked it as much as i did when i was younger is that uh, you had zero context it, yeah is that separation uh from paratext from context mm-hmm. yeah even even when you were when you were super young even though you had it, it came out after 9-11 and you had experienced 9-11 like the ramifications of it didn't necessarily stick until a lot older exactly it, it, so you could have seen this movie without that context as a kid you know you you at some point looking back you can probably put together the pieces of a childhood to say uh, event a happened here event b happened here event c happened here but when you're a kid it's a lot harder to to kind of contextualize those on the same real timeline and absolutely in that way big trouble never really had anything to do with 9-11 right even though like it seems like now it's like so obvious yeah that's a really good point so uh, less than you know talking over paradox again or, or even context mm-hmm. i want to discuss just how that can change a film and if that's something that you know if is that something that you know filmmakers should be aware of or or like is that something that we should think about in our in our movie going one of the one of the biggest examples of this and actually a movie that this that this movie slightly uh you'd have to take a stretch to to do this but sure. slightly references one of my favorite movies is dr strangelove in the climax no, of this movie. No, I felt movie. that too. Oh, I felt that too. Yeah. Oh man, I was. Uh, you're right. I I just remembered that. I was gonna. Yeah. You you are 100 percent correct. In the climax, it has a Doctor Strange love vibe. Yeah. In the climax of this movie, uh, Tom Sizemore literally rides an atomic bomb down to his death, very similar to Slim Pickens in 1964's Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one thing a lot of people don't know about Strange Love is that in uh in the original cut of it, um, there is a pie fight within the pentagon in which everybody uh everybody you know fights with pies and then at the end somebody uh pies president merkin played by uh peter weller i believe it's been a while yeah um, he's the one who plays like all those characters yeah and somebody says with an absolute deadpan voice uh you know our president's been pied they filmed that scene slightly yeah. before the jfk assassination and they changed that into the the ending that we have now yeah which is, which is arguably better in a 
like it, it, it's maybe less funny, but like arguably like as a narrative better. Yeah. Uh, like I, I'm, I will not complain about literally anything about uh, Doctor Strangelove. I absolutely <laughs> love the way that that movie came out, and to me, it is, it is a, a perfect comedy. Haunting. It is a haunting comedy. I it, it like <laughs> I I've I've discussed this uh maybe not on here but I've discussed this with you just like uh and I don't want to get too too much into this because we're not talking about Doctor Strange Love but as much as it was a comedy it just filled me with dread really and uh, yeah because it it really helped me understand that feeling in the fifties of we are literally this close we are one or two people fucking up away from total annihilation. And like, there's humor in that. There is, there is comedy. There's that whole kind of nihilist tit to comedy, which I think, I actually, this movie even plays a little bit. In. I mean, I but vibe like, with that hard. Right. Uh, that's yeah, that's very your brand is is maybe a little bit not quite, but you definitely have nihilist leanings. Nihilist. nihilist. I say nihilist, but that's that's also whatever floats your boat. But it's one of those things that I've read more than heard. But yeah, and there's there's some there's comedy in that. But I think that there's a similar thing where I'm I'm trying to bring it back to Big Trouble. Because again, they do have uh, they, they have that very similar thing at the end, and it would be more funny if it weren't so sad. Is that kind of no? It, maybe like I mean, if that's that, if that's what that's you're getting kind of from phrase, this, I get that. Because yeah, because because you run into the thing where it would be funnier if we didn't have nine eleven happen in the context. Like the context of this movie again is is funnier if nine eleven didn't happen. Which for you as a as a kid, it didn't happen for you the same way. In the same context no. of this movie. Whereas for us, it did. We've, we've lived with the ramifications for it for, you know, 19, 18 years. Yeah, so I guess, like, so I want to say, you know, I, I love Dr. Strangelove. I know Dr. Strangelove. Big trouble, sir. You are no Dr. Strangelove. No Dr. Strangelove. But th- they do have kind of underpinnings that... Yeah, it's, uh, there. there's that, that same, same kind of, like, same kind of inter- interlocking vignettes type of uh, filmmaking that uh, Dr. Strangelove employs. Um, the same, you know, um, kind of finale. Well, it's a it's a same finale of a bomb going off, but a different finale of how it's uh, reacted. Right. It's like better. There are some very um, jovial, interesting Russian characters that uh, <laughs> that you know are, aren't necessarily the bad guys. Aren't necessarily the bad guys, and I think you know it it has a similar uh, underpinning of that nihilistic dread of hey, this could happen. I think if they, they if this would have come out if this would have come out earlier they could have just released it the way it was and it would be better if it came out later mm-hmm. they could have played into some of that and done really well because where Doctor Strangelove yeah. succeeds and this movie doesn't is Doctor Strangelove plays it as a like plays it as a comedy but it plays it as that satire uh, really it goes all in goes all in on on a message whereas this movie yeah. is it's a column it's 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 pulp yeah it's it's a it's a funny story. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah, and as a result of that, it's it's no Doctor Strangelove. But what yeah. what I was originally saying, kind of is, and, and you kind of touched on this here, is that like we separated. I can separate this movie, especially now, you know, seventeen years after its uh, its release. I can separate this movie, and you know, especially since they didn't know, it's you know, it's it's one thing. Doctor Strangelove is different because you know it was that that thing, and then like one part of it changed. And yes, I think that it would have been less successful if you know if they'd have kept the the you know mock president assassination with a pastry in it. Um, right. But that movie made eight million dollars and was never intended for the same type of mass audience that a movie like Big Trouble w- was made for. 
Um, what, which also made $8 million. <laughs> which also made $8 million. Hmm. So I, I just... Coincidence? I, uh, I guess the, the thing that I'm more saying is that, like, do you have to take in context to a movie? Like, not, not necessarily paratext, because I don't think that the paratext changes this movie what it is. I think this movie fails uh, in a lot of ways just on its own. Mm-hmm. But, like, that context... But it movie, also succeeds... I, I, I don't want to give it too much shit because it's not like as, as, even if you said you know it, it fails on its own it also isn't a complete failure because of the paratext you know what I mean yeah no and I'm, and I'm definitely I'm definitely not trust me I'd still recommend this movie to anybody who just kind of likes this type of, of movie anybody who watched mm-hmm. Get Shorty or you know yeah if you like Barry Sonnenfeld you'll probably like this movie yeah because it's it's just it's a charming ensemble cast mm-hmm. piece but as far as context goes, I I don't really know what to what to think about this movie, and I don't I don't really know what to think about movies in general. They they mm. are such a snapshot in a moment of time that you kind of yeah. do have to see, you know, you do have to take into account that you know what what was it that we were just talking about where um, it was oh um, was it sorry to no it wasn't sorry to bother you Black Panther can we talk about that for a second Black Panther yeah sure let's talk about that for a um, one of the examples of this is uh, is Black Panther. In it, I I saw it. Uh, I was discussing with you earlier this week, basically mm-hmm. how I saw Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok as very similar movies with very similar themes. Of yeah, and we've we've had them, and and you've seen it described in the past. Yeah, basically, I had said that um, that Ragnarok and Black Panther were kind of the same movie uh, with the same themes of you know family coming back usurping the the rightful place of our yeah, of our sibling, protagonist and you know who loses some measure of power but then ends up succeeding yeah like kind of being cast out and then uh, having this redemption story while coming to terms with um with his place in the world as well as a hidden power that was within him all along mm-hmm. um and there's there's a lot of beats that you can draw parallels to Sure. And um, I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I was one smart cookie. I thought I had a yep. big, big dick. But yep. turns out you were not the big dick. No, no, I was not. <laughs> turns out. So you, you, you said what? What was it that you told me? Well, okay. So I, I in general have a problem of boiling down movies to pure plot um, because I feel like it isn't. It, it, it doesn't mean very much. Because again, like you, like you said, you can boil down Black Panther and, and Thor Ragnarok to very similar kind of plot beats but yeah and, and a step farther me, you can basically br- uh, boil down any movie to the the hero's journey type right that's that's pretty pretty common and to be honest i hate that but that's that's a story for another time and maybe a, a, a movie that actually has a hero's journey because this one does not have a hero's journey but anyhow black panther is less about a family movie and more about your whether whether you should use your privilege is, is maybe the, not quite the word that i want to use but use your privilege to help others or whether the security of that that it affords you is better than that it, whether it's better to be safe but isolated or maybe not quite as safe but actually having an effect on the outside world yeah to me those were the two ideas that were being argued in black panther and i'm not the only one who's argued that either which is not at all the same themes in thor ragnarok right in the slightest. And, and like even a step farther than that i think that there's there's one thing to be said where you can like take your your um your security and your privilege and and hold it to yourself and you can you can make that comparison to marginalized groups um mm-hmm. within america and then you can take it a step farther and see america as wakanda as a whole and going out and doing this you know new brand of imperialism that america does and and you know 
helping other countries, helping in air quotes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, but you, you could debate either way, but those were two viewpoints that I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't really see. I, I kind of saw it as that return. And then, you know, uh, a step you know farther in, you know, in the, in the historical sense, kind of the same, you know, Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King thing that we've seen in just about every X-Men movie. Right. Yeah, that's and and to be honest, yeah, that's done much better in in uh, X Men than it is in Black Panther, or, and by better I mean like more explicit. More explicit, yeah. Um, I I actually I liked it more in Black Panther just because um, mm-hmm. just because I thought that it was really cool that we identified more with a Killmonger with a with a violent character in their means mm-hmm. because I mean um, I I've read some books on the it's, subjects and and I I mean. If you ever get a chance, read Bloody Lounge by uh, Hassan Jeffries. It's a it's yeah. a book about the foundation of the Black Panther Party, and honestly, it's I mean, th- that's not what this is about. But um, correct. But I, I get I get what you're coming from. It's it's very much a um, the fact that that Killmonger's intentions in general better than than Black Panthers in that like, uh, you know, it, it sucks that just because of where you're born, you have a certain level of privilege. And to, to hoard that for yourself, that's shitty. <laughs> right. So, so I guess – I explained it so much better the other day. No, I you, yeah, you, you really nailed it. Um, I guess where I was going with that is that that is a movie where that context I didn't even really bring into it. The context of that mm-hmm. movie came out in February uh, 2018, the st- like in the second year of Trump's America. And far from getting political yeah. here – it's just it's something that you know is impossible to separate from the the brunt of the movie. Yeah, it's actually, it, and that's something that is very it it stands apart from other Marvel movies in that way. I don't really care, you know, what what you think of it, like in like a, oh, as a Marvel movie, it's you know my favorite, least favorite, you know, whatever. I I know you specifically, it's not especially low. No, it's on, on the the tone. I mean, it's definitely good, but I mean, I think kind of what what we're getting at is, I mean. And not that I'm saying that uh, that Black Panther should win the the Oscar or anything, and we'll know by the time this comes out. But like, there's a reason that Black Panther is nominated for an Oscar, where what I consider to be Ant-Man. better films, not Ant Man, uh, what I consider to be better films <laughs> in the MCU were not. You know, where um, you know Captain America: Winter Soldier, it, you know, explores uh, the America's role on a world stage as well as what a soldier's role is in a uh, peaceful society like you know mm-hmm. um ragnarok explores uh, all the same things as black panther obviously <laughs> and, you know like and and you know yeah. civil war exp- explores deontology versus utilitarianism in a way that most people just wouldn't think about going into a marvel movie it really yeah it really bugs me when people just dismiss marvel movies as that because they are a brand of sci-fi and they're comic books and like like the whole point of like most forms of media is some sort of commentary on society or, or human nature or something like that and like comic books have been around for forever and yeah they're sure there's some of them that are just kind of schlock but like all forms of media you always will have these themes that like are sometimes better represented in having like taken to the extreme and you can really only do that in something like a comic book. It's it's a, it's a, it's kind of similar to how, like people talk about like oh the Handmaid's Tale is so scary because that could be now, uh, the she wrote that with now in mind basically or then I guess when she wrote it but, um the author that I can never remember the name of, um of Handmaid's Tale sci-fi is not about the future it's about now 
dystopians are not necessarily about where we're completely heading. It's it's or it's not about like ooh, isn't this so scary? The situation. It's about the seeds that are here now and hoping to curtail that future by by acknowledging okay, this is where this leads. You know, that's dystopia. It's 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 satire. It really is. All all this stuff is satire in the more pure sense of the word than the kind of comedy sense of the word. Where, yeah. Where it's you know commentary on society. And this movie is that too. It has it has the commentary on society. It has these FBI agents that you know use the Patriot Act to, to basically do whatever. They shoot a guy in the foot, zero repercussions, all this stuff. And you know you have TSA that you know like they just it's it's a facade of security. You know you you have you have people like in rich business people who are like really shitty people who do really shitty things, but still end up having the only repercussion be they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, like no, no actual final comeuppance for their bad behavior. They'll be fine. Uh, Stanley Tucci's character will be fine. He's he's on a drug trip, hallucinating that Martha Stewart is stealing his soul. But guess what? As soon as that's done, he'll go straight back to <laughs> running guns. That's I, <laughs> that's that's what this movie. It's it's a it's one of those satires, and it's so interesting that it managed to hit all those points at pretty much almost the exact time, the exact wrong time. Yeah. To be a little bit too close to home. Yeah, like, one of the movies that we discussed before is, you know, and you're, you're talking about, like, how satire and science fiction and all this stuff, uh, you know, applies to, it's it's from um, anxiety of the times, but it's mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. exhibited in a timeless manner. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie doesn't do that. It's, just, it's, it's, so, it's so dated and unfortunately dated that if it had mm-hmm. done those things, if it had done, you know, this thing about how, the privileged elite can get away with these white collar crimes like gun running and stuff and i mean obviously they had no idea to know martha stewart would be the same thing but that's really ironic child for white trial for for white collar crime in in hindsight that's really ironic that Mm -hmm. uh, martha stewart is chastising you know stanley tucci's character in this and when that's the way that that was um Mm -hmm. You know, and you and you have this, you know, these lax security, this lax security, and this. I mean, there's a the throwaway joke about how you know the kids are playing this game that is you know called murderers or, killer. or yeah killer, killer. Um, where they try to hit, shoot each other with squirt guns. And like, don't get me wrong, I've played a game like that. And yeah. there's a throwaway line that Tim, that Tim Allen says. It's like, oh, let's how about how about we chalk this up to you know to rap lyrics and rap music too much violence on TV. TV. It's just a throwaway line. Like none of the the movie doesn't double down on any of that. It's just kind of a shitty day in the life. And yeah. I don't know. E- even and maybe it should have. Yeah, maybe it should have. Maybe it would have been better as a as a deeper message about how these random uh, Russian guys run a weapons depot in the back of a shitty bar. Uh, maybe it should be about how the upper class can get away with such egregious crimes as gun running. Maybe it should yep. be about how, you know, the strain the divorce t- puts on a family and how, you know, father's respect has to be earned. It could be any of those things, and it isn't. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder. I might have to read Big Trouble because thinking about it now, what if it was those things? I, what if the book is those things? I got to be curious about that too. Now, I honestly, I like, like I, I didn't think that going in. I thought, you know, okay, humorous, but like, the he's a Pulitzer Prize winning column writer, and like, th- this specifically it says he won a Pulitzer Prize for his consistently effective use of humor as a device for pre- presenting fresh insight into serious concerns. 
Now, maybe, maybe the book was actually like really strong, good satire, and like whether it was you know just kind of a adaptation for to be more made more palatable to like a wider audience, or maybe it was even the movie was stronger in all those themes. But then nine eleven happened, and they had to cut things like you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I'm really curious yeah. about what we're not seeing because there, I mean there are like we said I mean there's there's hints of those things in a way in a movie that just kind of I mean and yeah it's an 85 minute movie I'm not expecting to be you know to be blown no. away with a, an inconvenient yeah. truth in in you know this 2002 crime thriller but I just uh, I don't know yeah I guess I yeah have, I have to say that's where context plays in yeah and what's what's really crazy is like I have a better opinion of the movie now <laughs> I kind of I was not necessarily worried that this was going to happen, but I I do have a tendency to have this happen, where uh, I I my opinion is not solid on most things. I can be swayed on a lot, but and and, and maybe I I'm giving it too much credit. I I really have to read Big Trouble, but if Big Trouble is as as a book is is more that I think I'll appreciate this movie more. I mean, it's uh it's honestly the way I see the Star Wars prequels. Is that yeah. I see a lot of the strings of what they tried to do, and yeah. I appreciate it, it for those things. Yeah, this movie rhymes a little bit. There's a little bit of that. Um, I didn't. I didn't get too much into it, but I believe there's only really two acts in the movie. There's the setup act, and then there's the finale act. It, yeah, it's also um, tough to do a full three act thing with a, with an hour twenty five movie. Um, exactly. But yeah. they kind of they but, set um, up the pins and they knock them down, and it's it's yeah. it's tight enough. It's still just a mess. It's a storm of a movie. We said that even going into it, just. That's what you're gonna have with so many faces, but I don't know. It, uh, it's this is a bittersweet movie for me. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm. I we're gonna have to return the favor. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to do a movie that I love and you know grew up with and and rip it to shreds and no, it's it, it deconstruct. It, it wasn't that. It was I, we didn't necessarily do that here. No, but. it wasn't that that we we discussed this movie. I actually I really appreciate it because it's given me some more some new things to appreciate about this movie and i mean i'm the same way as you are my my opinions are, are fairly malleable but um i guess it's just really interesting to dive really deeply into a movie that maybe is not that deep yeah that's always you know the, the risk you run that's i mean that's what we do here yeah now see now is that meta text is that paratext this this extra stuff that we're bringing in no i i i don't think that that's paratext i think if we like it more because of it that could be considered that Obviously, we don't have all the context as to what went into this movie. I mean, when was when was Enron? Um, Enron, that was October of two thousand one. So that was also after this. Uh, just just as far as you know, uh, uh, what's it? White collar, white collar crime. crime. I don't know. It's just it's it's really interesting that I guess those were Dave Barry's anxieties or muses of yeah. uh, seeing all these things. And obviously, and he was kind of spot on on a lot of them. Yeah. So Honestly, I've never lived in Miami. I, I he does not like Miami. No, he does not. I can tell you that like <laughs> he does not like Miami. He does not like Florida, uh, uh, which is fair. It's not for everybody, but uh, it's just too gosh dang warm. Like during this whole polar vortex stuff going on, I'm sitting here sweating in 75 degree weather. It was, it was 74 here today in uh, in uh, Texas. <laughs> okay. Rough. Uh, not yeah. for me. Fuck the North State. Um, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Yeah. This movie could be really interesting, and it's by no means not entertaining. Yeah, I don't know. I I actually just realized the the irony of you know Stanley Tucci. He's like set up to get comp- can up come up it's. He's like like he's he's getting some comeuppance for his crime. His crime was embezzling. Okay, that's pretty bad. 
from dr- from gun runners <laughs> so it's like it, it's it's a the he's not actually the actual crime of gun running isn't being punished it's the embezzling part yeah it's it's he he threatens the gun runners that he knows mm-hmm. things to embezzle money from them basically to blackmail money from them and then the gun runners who are doing illegal things hire hitmen to kill him yep it's just there's layers to it man <laughs> There's layers. There's more layers than I thought. I'm definitely, I'm loving, I'm loving doing this. I'm loving peeling back all this. It's so fun to look at movies with a critical eye. And it really, like, I don't know. It, there's there's definitely an element. And like I said, last time, time before, something like that. Movies are, are, are all all stories that you, uh, t- to me at least, all stories that you uh, experience. That's not the right word. They're, they're a conversation between you and the, the creator of these. You know, it, it's the three different stories you have this what the, the story the author's telling the actual story and then the story that you're receiving so so maybe we're applying a little bit too much being a little bit too uh, generous with, with our with our analysis but i love that you can really just analyze any movie like this and like dig into any movie like this like i had no idea even watching it the first time that we would get into this discussion and and so far all these movies have been just like oh they're just kind of okay movies but when we actually sit down and dig into them, they've always been so interesting to dig into. Yeah, and that's why we're here. Yep. Hope hope you guys are enjoying it too. We could just be doing this for our own amusement. But I know I am. Cards. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, with, with that, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of tapped out for analysis. How about you? Sure. Uh, I'm good. I think I've said pretty much everything I need to say. Uh, with, all, with all that out of the way, who's your MVP? Uh, let's see. I like a lot of people in this. I am. I, I think I'm gonna go. Have to go with Martha Stewart. Martha <laughs> Stewart is my MVP. She is wonderful. She. I actually honestly don't know if they got her for this or not. I I, I know that they have her in it, but I don't know if it's like archive footage or not. I, I'm assuming it's it's actually her. I think they they had to get her for for the dog head part, her. right? I know, but I loved it. She was such a good because she was. She was on screen like on every TV. She was uh like in magazines, Stewart, like Martha multiple Stewart. magazines. Yeah. With Stuart living um and she just barks and she barks and she's saying the words but it sounds like barks a little bit she says them like barks and i love that yeah she didn't necessarily have to but she did it and i love it and i feel like i have this weird i'm gonna have to ask my dad because he's the, he's the kind of guy who will like quote movies out of context very often and so like i know a lot of quotes from movies more from that than i do from seeing the actual movies and i think one of those might be arugula like that and so i'm gonna have to ask him if he's seen it yeah, no, I um, my parents also did arugula a lot, and I I have to at wonder if that is a um, if that's a joke from this movie or if it's just a uh, or if if that's just a, a thing with our with our parents' generation. Maybe arugula used to be really funny. Uh, I think it's still funny. Arugula, arugula. My movie MVP had to be Dennis Farina, the hitman. Yep, he's. This, this, like I said at the beginning, uh, this movie is a comedy of errors. You know, Tim Allen is, is bumbling through this movie. Um, the only people who don't really bumble are the characters who don't really affect the plot. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Dennis Farina is one of those people, despite yep. he's, he's for the most part very con- composed and yeah. Uh, he he tries to kill Stanley Tucci. He shoots a TV and twice. He just goes through the entire movie complaining about um, Miami. Miami, yeah. So there's what's not to love. There's not really uh, that much to his character, but like, I don't know the the disgruntled, um, 
vaguely Jewish hitman is something that I really vibe with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, yeah, he was he was fun. I like I liked him. Too. Yeah, I liked him better than his partner for sure. Yeah, his his partner was also bumbling, but like just not really with any uh, redeeming characteristics. More of an extension. Yeah, yeah, he was more of an extension of Dennis Farina than he was, you know, uh, an actual character in himself. He literally uh, would just repeat some things that he would say and and what's the he said uh i lost it oh uh, uh, he said a thing twice. did you like how all of the characters corrected each other on um on like discovery channel travel channel stuff and I grammar did love that. i did love that i i loved the discovery channel joke that was that was very they good. got beautiful churches uh, there what? What? Travel travel channel. Channel. <laughs> yeah i liked and that's again i part of why i loved uh omar epps and, and uh heavy d in this they were very humorous they had they had two of those jokes all right so uh so chris we're kind of getting to the end of our uh, of our time here could you go ahead and uh, sum up this movie sure sure so firstly black panther secondly 9-11 thirdly martha stewart yeah basically this movie is a product of its time i mean that in a good way and i mean in a bad way in the good way it's so innocent in what it does that it does a carefree movie featuring illicit uh you know uh, gun smuggling and a plane hijacking in a bad way the humor doesn't really add up the um the characters are all kind of dated and static and caricatures of of themselves and one dimensional this movie was really boned by you know international terrorism uh Mm -hmm. that old thing um that old peach pit so what you end up having is a movie that might try to do something with itself, but on the surface is a lot smaller than the name implies. It just, it's definitely a satisfying way of spending 85 minutes, but I'd be surprised if it sticks with you uh, outside of 24 hours. Basically what you get this with this movie is a very entertaining just ride of a movie that if it does other things better, the, those things were left on the cutting room floor. Um, if you like a an ensemble cast and shutting off your brain for kind of a uh, you know get together movie, uh, check out this movie. If you like Get Shorty or Ocean's Eleven or any other number of late '90s, early 2000s sort of heist ensemble, ensemble crime comedies, check this out because you'll probably like this too. And if you like Twitter, we have one now. Yeah, we do. It's. It's the, the Aggressively Mediocre Podcast. It's at Aggressively The. Yeah, check us out on Twitter check at, at Aggressively The. I'm not going to spell that because, honestly, like I've misspelled aggressively so many times. So just like follow whoever, I guess. Um, it's spelled correctly. <laughs> the, I'm pretty sure it's spelled correctly on Twitter. It is. So if you see that little red line after you write the word aggressively, you probably need to go back and throw a G in there, to be honest. I tend to miss the second g also um really big news um and this is really old news by the time this comes out but um we have a website now um at www.aggressivelymediocre.com both of those things are spelled right i really hope i've spelled aggressively wrong more often than i've spelled mediocre wrong nice that's good i don't know what that says about me and then we're also up on uh, Spotify now, and hopefully we'll be up on other things by the time this uh, podcast goes out. iTunes. But what was the – oh, shoot. I always forget the other one. All those podcatcher apps, they all sound the same and have vaguely punny names. Yeah. 
just just throw things that are related to podcasts into your Google search, and hopefully we'll be on one of those because we'll do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So like we're we're getting we're coming to like coming right along. If you want to send us movies that you think would be perfect for the show, uh, you can also email us at agmedpc at gmail.com. A-G-G-M-E-D-P-C at gmail.com. Yep. Send, send those movies over. Uh, and and you can also let us know if you like enjoyed a movie that you didn't think you were going to enjoy because of us, you know? Found a new favorite movie. Uh, MJ found one of his new favorite movies. Yeah, in this uh, podcast, so. Scanner Darkly changed my life as much as a twelve-year-old movie can. We, you know, we're obviously. Uh, I think if any, we've made anything clear here. It's that we're kind of doing this because we love movies and we love talking about movies. Yep. And in that, you know, we we kind of just started doing this to to really express that. But honestly, like I also uh, we love talking about movies with with other people. We're hoping that at some point we might have fans. Yeah. Maybe one day. Um, so if you if you have anything to say to us, I mean, it's not exactly like we're bogged down in fan mail at this moment. So we'll probably get back <laughs> yeah, to you we'll pretty quick. Yeah, we'll probably quick. answer you. We can we can answer you on the podcast. We can answer you in actual like email form back. You don't get that kind of you don't get that kind of response, you know, on on the bigger name podcast. Yeah, get in uh, at this level, and maybe eventually we'll have T-shirts. Yeah, they'll say we're a Subaru family. <laughs> Um, are we? Are we? Uh, or Al Pacino's semen, or or just a picture of Al Pacino's face? Yeah, we'll, on a semen. We'll, oh shit, that, that's real good. We'll figure something out. Um, <laughs> no wait, nobody, nobody take that one. That's ours. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but um, we appreciate you listening if you're listening, because uh, we've really just appreciated making these. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, if you enjoy it, let us know. If you don't enjoy it, let us know. I, Please I, don't. I, it's, oh. oh, okay. Um. Chris, it's been great. Yep, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and, and until the next time we watch an aggressively mediocre movie. <laughs> <laughs>